and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Uh, my co-host Jens is not here on the podcast again today. He is uh, on vacation, so I'm flying solo for this one. Um, I am fortunate to have a, a, an artist who I stumbled upon her music, and, uh, and her story really was interesting to me, and I wanted to explore it more, uh, and that artist is Rachel Sage. Um, and so I didn't have the chance to go to uh, her shows when she passed through the Bay Area uh, recently. She performed in San Francisco and then on to Sacramento, uh, and unfortunately I wasn't able to make either of those shows, but I was able to catch up with Rachel on the phone and have a great conversation with her, uh, learn about her um, music. Her 15th album is about to come out. It's called Character, coming out in March. And um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that, her upbringing in music, uh, and her, uh, her ter- current tour with Howard Jones, uh, and uh, uh, really... Um, her pushing through some of the struggles uh, that ha- she's experienced personally in her life, which uh, we'll get into in a little bit. I do want to take a minute to note that this is the 250th episode of Concert Pipeline. 250 episodes, and not every episode featured a band, but most all of them did. Uh, some actually featured more than one band, two or three, depending on if we we're covering a festival like Live in the Vineyard, Yountville Live, um, in the past Bottle Rock, that sort of thing. Uh, sometimes we have a couple bands on the program. Uh, we generally try and feature one band each episode, but uh, but that changes. And so as I kind of think back to uh, the past 250 episodes, which have spanned over six years uh, that since I brought Concert Pipeline back as a podcast, Uh, I really want to just take a second and thank all of the bands who have taken time to chat with us here at Concert Pipeline uh, and uh, all of the amazing shows that I've uh, had the opportunity to cover uh, through Concert Pipeline uh, as well. Uh, I mean, this is a a dream to be able to to talk to people who um, are in the music business, who uh, go out uh, day in and day out and tour through the Bay Area and other locations and, um, and bring live shows to uh, the audience. And so to get to sit down, uh, talk on the phone, or uh, you know, be there face-to-face and have conversations about their mu- music, their inspiration, uh, what drives them, um, and uh, life on the road, their new album, whatever it may be, whatever's going on in their lives, and just to be you know, there for a moment and, uh, and get to bring that to the Concert Pipeline audience. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. I am so lucky to have this opportunity, and I don't say that very often, but uh, it's something I truly feel that um, I've been, you know, so fortunate to have something like this uh, in my life. And so, thank you to the Concert Pipeline listeners for uh, for listening to Concert Pipeline, taking the time to hear these conversations that you. Um, aren't going to get in a lot of different locations, right? I mean, I really each week on, you know, generally each week take uh, time to research the the band that's coming up that week and listen to their music, uh, dig into um, uh, their story and really pull out some nuggets that are interesting to me and just have a real conversation with uh, these musicians. So, this is just taking a minute to say thank you to everyone who's made Concert Pipeline possible and uh, and allowed me to have you know this opportunity uh, that I've been afforded. So, thank you. 
I also need to thank my two co-hosts that I've had over the past six years. Uh, first, Joe Wilson, who helped me uh, spawn the idea to bring Concert Pipeline back and was supportive there uh, as I brought Concert Pipeline back for the first hundred episodes. Uh, it was this thing that I was just going to do by myself, and he said he'd hop in and join me. And uh, we had a number of great adventures and uh, really awesome interviews, interviewing some of our favorite bands. Uh, so that was a lot of fun and of course uh, Jens Schippel who's been with me for the past 150 episodes or so this one not included of course but uh, he's there as a, uh, a main point and is uh, is great to bounce off of uh, during the show as well so lucky to have both of those guys uh, here on the concert pipeline journey um, a couple things that are going on uh, with me. First, I'll talk about my dog because that's the most recent. I took him, uh, my dog's name is Basil. I took him to uh, the vet out of town today to the specialist. And because he's had trouble with an ear infection for a while, I took him uh, about a year ago uh, to the specialist and they uh, had recommended getting a CT scan done um, where they can. Uh, break through the eardrum and get to the middle ear and uh, and clean it out, uh, uh, clean out all the infection, and then it's just upkeep at that point, um, which is on me ultimately. Um, and uh, that sounded okay, but it was, uh, I mean, it sounded intrusive to me, and it's a, really an expensive procedure. Um, so uh, I was hesitant to do it. Um, Basil's getting up there in age. He's a husky shepherd, and he's getting close to turning nine, um, which, um, from what I understand, and especially being a big dog, um, they can live anywhere between 10 and 14 years generally uh, is kind of the lifespan. So I just wanted to uh, try and take care of him as best I could, but it's it's been painful for him, and uh, I want to do the right thing. So, um, I took him back today to the specialist. They did another checkup and, uh, tomorrow they're going to do the CT scan, um, give him some anesthesia and, um, they have to get a, uh, um, they ha uh, depending upon what the imaging shows from, um, the CT scan, um, then, um, they're going to perform a video autoscopy and, uh, then place a camera down his left ear canal and perform a thorough flush of his ear canal and beyond. Um, and so um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, after that, um, the next thing on my agenda is to, I have to get a couple of his teeth pulled. Like his back molars are uh, bad and he has really stinky breath. Um, I'm kind of immune to it, but um, I hear from a lot of other people it's not so great. Uh, and... So I've got to do that. So it's going to be an expensive couple months for Basil, but um, but it's, it's something that needs to happen. Something else that needs to happen. Um, the other day, uh, Monday morning, I, um, I woke up. I hopped on Instagram, um, and I saw uh, some video updates from an old favorite band of mine called The Format, where uh, they had uh, said that they were having a... Um, a 15th anniversary, I think it was, uh, screening of the um, live DVD that they, they had put out. They're putting it out on vinyl, and um, they were going to have a live screening of it in, 
in Arizona. And there was a long line of people that showed up to, to uh, for this screening where uh, the um, guitarist slash keyboardist Sam Means was going to be there as well. And uh, and so they, they were going to show up for it. And there were some th- th- things that were dropped um, as kind of teasers um, in the week, week and a half, two weeks leading up to this where um, they, uh, the format cleared off their social media and so did Nate Roos, who is also the lead singer of the band Fun. Um, yeah, this, the, the format was his previous band. And so, uh, their social media had all been wiped, which was curious. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they led you to think that, that it was to, uh, to kind of promote this 15th anniversary and Nate hasn't done anything with the format the, the band has been broken up for 12 years and so uh it's it's been something that's been kind of missing from my life um I I love this band so much and I've been fortunate to um interview them a couple of times um and uh, and get to see them a handful of times as well uh and uh, and really a band of my youth that I just love. And it's it's one of those bands that you really uh, kind of just hold on to and you can play that album and crank it up and sing every word top to top of your lungs and it's great. That's what that is for me uh, with their two albums, Interventions and Lullabies and Dog Problems. So um, they have a special place in my heart and it's some, it's when they break, broke up and they've been gone for so long, you kind of... You expect to never get to hear it again, right? You expect to never get to see it live. And on Instagram, there were some fan shot videos, short clips of um, of both of the band members, uh, Sam Means and Nate Roos, together on stage uh, playing a couple of songs. And, and then it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is something I never expected to see. And uh, are they going to tour? What is it going to mean, right? What does it mean? Is this just a one-off thing or uh, or what, right? I'm like, they're back together. This is great. And then the next day they announce, okay, we're going to be playing some uh, special shows. They had a, a flyer that went out on their social media where they're playing two shows in New York City, uh, the Bowery Ballroom, two, uh, two shows in Chicago at the Lincoln Hall, and then a show in Phoenix. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going across the country for this. This is something I've been waiting for over a decade for, but I just I can't go across the country for for a show. I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Phoenix, a- uh, April. Eh, that's a good time time frame to to do it. I'll, I'll try and go to Phoenix. And I got a buddy who was also a bi- big fan of the format. Um, and we talked about going together. Uh, I had, um, mentioned it to my girlfriend who's not so much a fan of the band, doesn't really know, uh, much of their, their stuff. And, uh, but what is going to do it to be supportive, go, go with us. And, um, she wanted to make a whole trip out of it in Phoenix and see her, you know, um, see different areas, go on hikes and stuff. And, um, I mean, I, I just looked at it as like a, you know, Hey, good, let's, you know, go to the show, um, get there, get out sort of thing. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so the day, uh, then the tickets were going to go on sale the next day. So the next day comes around and stay with me on the story. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty exciting. I'm telling you, this is riveting, right? Uh, so the next day ticket sales are, go on sale and it's, uh, and they go on sale at noon, uh, local time for each of the shows. 
So the New York show goes on sale first. And so just, you know, out of curiosity, I tried to, you know, get some tickets in, in my cart, see how, how fast they were going to go. Uh, and my my buddy, John, he uh, also tried, and he ended up buying four tickets to the New York show. Um, and I let the tickets go, which apparently I shouldn't have because uh, they sold out pretty quickly, uh, and, um, and I could have made some money. I'm not super crazy about making money off of one of my favorite bands like that, though, uh, so um, I, I didn't do it anyway. Um, and let them go, and then it sold out within a couple minutes. Um, okay, next up is Chicago, next time zone, central time, right? Uh, so Chicago sold out in under a minute. Like, I couldn't even get tickets in my cart, not even a chance, in under a minute. Boom, done. I'm like, okay, am I even going to get tickets to Phoenix? Um, at this point, I'm texting with my friend John, texting with my uh, my girlfriend, Tracy, and kind of trying to figure it out. John's like, okay, well, I'm going to New York uh, for the New York show. I'm not going to go to Phoenix with, with you anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't really you know, I want to go with someone who's going to have that same level of appreciation for the band that I will. Right. I want, I was excited about that. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, I go with my girlfriend, but I don't think she'd have as much fun with it. Uh, play on words. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, do I even want to go? I'm like, did just need a tour. Right. But, um, I'm like, okay, well let's try and get tickets to the Phoenix show and then take it from there. And, uh, and my friend John had offered me a ticket to the show in New York, by the way, which is, which is cool of him. Um, so, um, so thank you for, to him for that. Um, but, uh, I still, you know, don't know that I can bring myself to travel all the way across the country. He's going to be staying with a, a different friend also that I'm not invited to stay with. So I'm flying across the country and staying by myself in New York. And, uh, I wasn't really about that. Right. So, um, so I'm putting, yeah, I'm investing in, uh, Phoenix and the freaking ticket site, ticket web went down and was, uh, it kept reloading the page. It wasn't even just for me. It was, uh, the, the site itself was, had some major malfunctions where it wouldn't load and it refreshed every thir- you know, 30 seconds and kicked you back out and you had to enter the pre-sale code again. Right. It was a mess. And so the format's tweeting out, you know, hey, hang tight, keep trying. Uh, we're working with TicketWeb. They're going to try and fix it and it'll hopefully eventually work. And uh, and a lot of people online were pretty pissed, too. Right. I mean, this is kind of a big deal. We're, there's emotions involved in, you know, in a band that you uh, love and uh, that you don't think you're ever going to see again. And you want to be able to get to the, their show and then the, for the site to go down. I mean, it's one thing for scalpers to yank up all the tickets and then up, upsell the price, but for the to, uh, to not even get a chance at tickets. Uh, supposedly, people got in, uh, but it was a mess, and it took you know over an hour and a half. Uh, some people were able to sprinkle in and get tickets, but um, but it didn't work out. And so, general tickets sales are going on sale um, as of the recording of this tomorrow. But um, but by the time this posts, it'll be. Uh, uh, have already happened. Um, and so I'm on the fence as to whether I, I go to Phoenix and do it and suck it up or, you know, and, uh, and go see what will be definitely a magical show for me, um, getting to, uh, relive some of these songs that mean so much to me and, uh, uh, and an energy that, um, is un 
unspeakable. Like, it's just amazing, right? Do I go and do it or uh, do I hold out hope that, you know, hey, these shows sold out fast and uh, and there's going to be a tour afterwards, right? There's going to be. There's got to be. They're back together, man, right? They're going to they're gonna come to the Bay Area and uh, and I'll get to see them there, right? Right? That's my hope. Well, the, the pre-sale uh, did so well that they added a show to each location that they already announced. So New York, Chicago, and Phoenix each have an additional date. And I'm like, freaking come on already. Let's, let's do a tour, right? Like, they just need a tour. So I don't know. That's where I'm at with the format. Big fan. Uh, I'm really, really hoping they tour because I, I don't know that I can bring myself to... <laughs> To do the Phoenix thing, it just won't be the same without a, a, a co-super fan with me. Um, and uh, yeah, my my other friend Joe and his wife uh, also big fans. Um, and the last time I saw the format was kind of with them as well. And um, and uh, obviously over twelve years ago. Uh, and they're not gonna go. So that's my story about the format. Thanks for giving me a listen, uh, to that. Um, I think it's time to, uh, to get to our interview with Rachel Sage. So like I said, we had a, uh, a good chat. Um, we're going to get into it right now. And, uh, here's my conversation with Rachel. Hey, Rachel, how's it going? It's Steve Jones from Concert Pipeline. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. How's your day going? I can't complain. I have a lovely day off in LA and the weather's beautiful. So all good. No complaints there then, right? Yeah, where are you based? Uh, I'm in Napa. I'm up north. Oh, okay. Can yeah. you hear me okay on speakerphone or should I do it regularly? I can hear you perfectly well on speaker. Sounds great. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell me, uh, let's start with this uh, this current tour. Um, so you, uh, you're you on tour right now um, with uh, Howard Jones. How's the tour been going? Oh, it's been so much fun. We've done a whole West Coast swing. We started in seattle and portland and made our way you know to sacramento and then uh we just played in los angeles at the el rey which was so much fun uh, that's a pretty cool venue huh it's amazing and it has all these huge chandeliers which is particularly exciting for me because i have a chandelier fetish and i have an album called chandelier so it was re- it was amazing to look up and just see all of those beautiful lights so this fetish, how many chandeliers do you have in, in your home? Well, I actually don't have any chandeliers, but I love taking pictures of them. And I have endless photo galleries of them. And when I produced my album Chandelier a few years back, I got to do a photo shoot in Brooklyn with this amazing chandelier that was basically dropped to the floor. And I got to like actually interact with it like it was just you know, my pet. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so Howard Jones, you're, you're a big, uh, fan of his, you guys go, go back a little bit too. We do. This is actually our third tour together, which is incredible. I feel so blessed so lucky to be part of this, this new album cycle with him. He has a gorgeous album called transform and I love it. And I'm also, as you know, putting out a new record called Character in just a few weeks. So we've been playing a lot of that material, and it's just been great to be reunited again. 
Excellent. So, so we'll, we'll talk about character in just a little bit, but I want to go back to, uh, to the early days when uh, you, you kind of saw yourself as a musician. Um, I know you, you didn't start out there. You kind of started um, with drama and ballet, that sort of thing, right? So, so Sort of. I, I actually did start out with music. I was doing all of them. Um, I played music from the time I was two and a half years old. So it doesn't get much okay, okay. earlier than that. The first two um, years though, there was no music involved in your career. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I was very lucky because my parents who were both tone deaf inexplicably, um, they did have a piano in our living, living room and I guess they were just hoping one of their kids would take to it. And I did, I sat down and my legs were dangling off the bench and I started tapping out, um, doo-wop songs and my dad was playing in the car when he was taking us to school and um, you know Broadway show tunes from my mom's collection and various folk and pop stuff so um, I definitely started as a musician but what was so great about dance was that I would come home from all my ballet classes and just have all this new music in my head swirling around and it started to eventually fuel my own writing um, so by the time I was, I don't know, three or four, I was writing little baby pop songs about just whatever popped into my head and, and I haven't really looked back since. Yeah. And you, and you taught yourself piano. So tell me about that, uh, that process for you. Like, how did you, how did you learn it? Did you learn the notes and everything? Like what was it? No, I don't read a note. I mean, it was very organic for me. Um, a lot of people they'll say, oh, well you, you know, so you didn't have any formal musical education. And I kind of qualify that because I think as a ballet dancer, you really do receive, <clears throat> excuse me, an amazing classical musical education. It's just a little bit unorthodox. You know, you're hearing all of this music all day long, you know, from two to six hours a day. And it may range from classics like, you know, Bach and Beethoven to more avant-garde classical music like Stravinsky. And then eventually, you're, you know, your Russian accompanist in the class may be um, bringing in music he or she loves from, you know, various realms that you've just never even heard before. So it was a very rich musical education and I would come home and just play things on the piano and my parents would scratch their heads very confused, like, where does she get this from? Um, and then at some point or another, I opened my mouth and started singing and it was really very natural for me. And what music did your parents listen to uh, when when you were a kid? <clears throat> well, my dad loves rock and roll. And so whatever edge I have, and it, it's not, you know, abundant, but uh, that definitely came from him. He was a Beatles guy, first and foremost, and he actually sold Beatle wigs in college to make a little extra money on the side, which I just thought was adorable. High demand there, um, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He has one framed on his wall in his office, which is a little creepy, okay. you know, a wig and a frame. Yeah. But the graphics are great. Um, and my mom was also a ballet dancer, so she had a lot of classical, but also um, a lot of American songbook, a lot of, you know, people like Candor and Ebb and um, just, you know, a lot of Broadway stuff. So... It was a good melodic basis for me. And then everything else in between, I just kind of found on my own um, from British Invasion to Top 40 to Folk. Um, junior high school, I had a best friend who single-handedly introduced me to James Taylor, Carol King, Cat Stevens, and Laura Nero. So she definitely deserves a big thank you. Uh, 
Awesome. And, and so you went to uh, Stanford and, uh, and studied drama. So you had to be pretty committed at that point. Did, was it something you were passionate about in high school and wanted to do? It play? was. Yeah. Actually, um, I took ballet pretty far in my late teens. I was um, studying at School of American Ballet and I performed in you know shows like The Nutcracker and Capella. And then at a certain point, it kind of all started to interfere with academics. And I just wasn't born into the right family for that. So that's when the parents kind of kiboshed the professional ballet thing. I was I was still doing it, you know, as a hobby, which was a little difficult to kind of go from pre-professional to just doing it for fun. And, you know, it, it created a little bit of emotional turmoil in me that made its way into my song lyrics. Um but I wasn't one to wallow, you know, so I just started going out for plays and I um, auditioned and got into a bunch of shows in, in high school and did become quite serious about it pretty quickly. Uh, I love Shakespeare and classical theater and uh, Neil Simon, just, you know, everything. And then once I got to college, it was definitely my my pretty singular passion as well as music, which I could do anywhere and anytime, um, coffee houses, you know, it didn't really matter. Um, I was always singing and playing. And, and so did you act in some Shakespeare plays? Oh yeah. yeah. And actually after Stanford, I went to a wonderful program at the public theater in New York, um, Joseph Papp's public theater, and it was called the Shakespeare lab. And I was very serious about it. You know, I went through like a whole eight week summer program and got to kind of be my best that I'd ever been and just very humbled by the whole process. It's, it's so intensive. And then right at the end of that program, I received an invitation to go on tour with Ani DeFranco. So that was kind of my fork in the road. And there was no question in my mind what I was going to do. I was going to go down that path and, you know, hopefully I bring in a little bit of the acting and character work into what I do as well. There's always opportunity to, channel different people that I meet along my adventures and hopefully add some comedic uh, aspects to my show. Yeah. And you were in, sorry, uh, I'm going to ask one more question on the Shakespeare. Just sure. I, I, uh, I mean, I did a <laughs> Shakespeare play in high school and oh, wow. man, that was hard to learn. I don't know. It was uh, <laughs> hard to ingest. So, I mean, you picked it, did you, would you say you picked it up pretty easily though? You really connected with it? You know, I think like many things, it really boils down to how the teacher presents it to you. And if you have someone who presents it like it's this proper old fashioned thing from, you know, hundreds of years ago, that's going to be difficult. That kind of puts that mindset, you know, into play. But for me, I was very fortunate. I had a teacher who made it cool and and he just really encouraged us to turn it into our own language and to make sure that before we even uttered a word we had really done our homework to understand what was on the page understand what it meant ask a million questions if we had them and really learn how to break down the text so that by the time you're speaking it on stage it's just like speaking regular english and i think that's the key because if, if you can't do that it's going to come across very stilted obviously yeah of course of course and now you mentioned uh, Ani DeFranco. Um, so t tell me about touring with her. Um, I mean, yeah. I want to ask you about both hands also, uh, but but let's, let's sure. start with the tour with her. And like, how, how did that go for you? Well, it was a very, very long time ago. It was 1998. So I really look back and think, you know, I was a kid. I was fresh out of college and I'd never played for more than maybe 
50 people at a coffee house or at the bitter end, which was mostly my friends and family, you know, begging them to fill the seats. Um, so I had never toured in my life. I hadn't even gone out for a weekend trip, you know, down, up and down the East coast. So I like to say it was trial by fire. Um, all of a sudden I was not only supporting someone I admired enormously, who was on quite a pedestal for me at the time. Um, but also, you know, playing huge venues. She was playing stadiums back then. So like the night before it might've been Alanis or Janet Jackson, and then they would, you know, chop the amphitheater in half and it was Ani. So, you know, I don't know, maybe six, 7,000 people. Um, so I was, I was nervous and, and I don't really know that I was ready for it, but there's nothing like full immersion in something that's overwhelming to really help you learn how to swim, so to speak. So yeah, you got to jump into that cool pool, right? <laughs> feet, yep. first, feet first. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so when you went out on those, those stages and paid, played in front of those crowds, like you mentioned nerves, I mean, did, uh, how did you operate through that? Did, were you able to put it aside and, and actually, uh, you know, focus on your music and, uh, and pretend like there I weren't thousands of people there? <laughs> You know, I, I was out on tour at the time with a wonderful accordion player named Rob Curdo, who's still a great friend. And I picked him out of my, you know, four or five piece band at the time because he was my buddy. He was my friend. He wasn't only an amazing musician. He was also someone I could hang with. And I learned very early on how crucial that is. You know, you want to be able to share the whole experience and, and the rides in the van and, and the traveling with people that you love and thankfully we kind of calmed each other down and we would you know before we would go on stage we'd you know hug and just say like let's do this you know and, and hype each other up but we were we were young we were nervous and we learned a lot and you know if there's nothing like that I look back fondly on that whole experience and I'm grateful for it and it was a, a great way to begin what's been a very eclectic and fascinating career so I'm very lucky Excellent. And uh, and so talk to me about uh, getting to work with Judy Collins. I know sh she has a, oh, had a big impact on you. And Sure. Oh, she is just the loveliest person and instantly put me at ease. I remember the first night that I opened uh, her show, at, which was part of her Wildflower Festival. And it was myself and her and Peter Yarrow. And it was just wonderful. You know, there's something so grounded about folk artists and, and people like Judy who've kind of seen it all, you know, she lived through, um, you know, so many moments of, um, social protest and she's such a caring, compassionate person. And I think for her, it's also very gratifying to encourage and discover young artists who, have been influenced by her as well. So it was just very natural and we felt like family very quickly. Okay. And, um, and so, uh, something that I think is really pretty cool that you've, uh, you've done, I mean, you've done some really, uh, outgoing and, uh, and generous things, but let's, I'm, um, let's talk about, uh, myopia and pseudo myopia first. I mean, sure. with, with that, you, uh, you'd given away, uh, free glasses and eye tests for people, uh, in low income countries, right? Tell, tell me where that came from. That's right. Um, Vision Overseas. It was an organization that um, my team in the UK turned me on to. And it, their mission just seemed incredible to me. I mean, as someone who has relied 
my entire life on glasses and contact lenses just to see at all. I mean, I, I am legally blind without them, you know, imagining not having those resources and, and how very different my life would be. It was just a no brainer. So, um, I was very honored to be part of that. And, and when I toured over in England, um, we were raising awareness for that organization and all the wonderful things that they do. So, um, I continue to, you know, just be grateful for that connection and I hope to, to help uh, to continue to raise more awareness about what they do. Yeah. And uh, another charity, I mean, Brave, Brave, excuse me, Bravery is on fire. Um, how did that come about? Like, what is, well, what's involved? Very personal, um, but I, I have been very open about it. Last uh, September, I shared publicly that I had been through uh, my own cancer experience, and I was diagnosed in 2018 with uterine cancer, um, specifically endometrial cancer, which is very common, and over 60,000 women in the United States get it every year, um, and I had never even heard of it. So it was, you know, quite a whirlwind and, and a very harrowing and frightening experience, um, but thank goodness I had a great medical team and I'm not only, you know, surviving, but I'm thriving. So, of course, I want to give back um, to the people who helped me get through that. And so my song, Bravery is on Fire, fundraises for women's cancer research, gynecological cancer research. So that's basically the gist of it. Yeah. And uh, and so um, tell me a little bit about... Um, I mean, what's what's involved with the charity? Like, how do how do you guys reach out to you know and find those that are affected and can benefit from uh, um, from the existence of the charity? Sure. Well, actually, the the specific charities that um, my song is fundraising for are the two research hospitals um, that help me with my own treatment. So specifically, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City and Massachusetts General in in Boston, Massachusetts, and of course, I picked those organizations not only because I received top-notch treatment there, but because I also witnessed firsthand just how much more research there is to be done and how limited the resources are for women's cancers, um, you know, for what, what it's worth. You know, uh, male cancers do receive a lot more government funding and support. Uh, I'm just going to leave that right there. Sure, and, sure. you know, all, all that we can do is really try to raise awareness, encourage women to get checked, to get regular pap smears, to really be on top of their own gynecological care. And, you know, I caught mine pretty late stage, which made it a lot, you know, more dire and, and challenging. Um, so I wish that I had had someone literally hold my hand and walk me into, you know, somewhere and then push me to, to check myself earlier. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to do that in a metaphorical way for women, you know, wherever I encounter them and also, um, to fundraise for these hospitals that just need to, to do more research, uh, constantly to discover more potential cures. So. And, and as you were going through all this uh, cancer treatment, I know you you lost a lot of uh, energy. Like, I mean, how did you how did you push through? What tell me what gave you that that uh, that will and that drive to to push forward? Mm, you know, first of all, I think 
unconditional love from my my wonderful parents um, was really huge. And, you know, kids and their parents argue they don't get along from when they're little to when they're in their 40s. I don't think it ever necessarily changes. But when, you know, when push comes to shove and, and you are in danger and, you know, your parents have your back and you know that no matter what happens, they will love you and support you. I think that's just crucial. And I know that not everybody has that and very few people have that really. And so I was grateful and humbled by that from the beginning, as soon as it happened. And my, my loving sister as well. And beyond that, you know, I just educated myself as much as I possibly can. I think with healthcare, you have to be as proactive and as just insightful as you can be. And, you know, I, I kind of approached it like it was a business, like it was the business of me saving my own life. And thankfully, I in the beginning, I did have the energy to Google, to read books. I read anti-cancer. I read all kinds of books about what foods, um, you know, help prevent cancer and also help heal it. Um, and I changed the, the way that I eat completely. I don't eat any sugar and hardly any carbs. And these are things that as many cancer survivors know, do help enormously. Um, you know, greens, plant-based foods, just really trying to take care of yourself from every angle, um, whether it's, you know, nutrition, meditation, acupuncture, yoga, all of these are things that help manage not only the disease itself, but the fear around it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were able to push through and, uh, Thank and, you. me too. Yeah, I, <laughs> of course, of course. And uh, I mean, and you, you don't sit down, you know, a lot, right? I mean, you're, uh, you're working. I mean, your 15th album is about to come out here, yeah, which is, true. which is miraculous. And, 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 um, but you know, this crisis forced me to, I think, you know, maybe it was the universe's way. I'm not saying that, that there's any reason why anyone gets cancer, but I certainly have been pushing and going nonstop since I was a little girl. I, you know, I've been very driven and very focused. Um, and sometimes the body just says no. So again, what I've tried to do since all this happened is to just bolster myself in a positive way take out the things from my life that haven't been serving me and really be very protective of my energy and, and my positive energy. So, I, you know, it's hard for me to be around, you know, people who are very negative and complaining a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, of course, that's a part of life. And there is a lot to be upset about in the world right now. So, you know, it's it's an interesting time to be an artist. And, and I feel just so lucky that I get to get up on stage and try to work out these things in a creative way every night. Sure. So, so let's talk about character now. Um, sure. It's coming out in March. Um, and, um, and we mentioned Ani DeFranco before uh, you, you cover one of her songs, both hands on, on the album with a, a string, yeah. string quartet. So tell me about that decision. Oh, well, I love strings and I tour with a wonderful violinist named Kelly Halloran. She's out with me right now on the road. Um, but there's nothing like a quartet. And I had this idea to just stand up and sing the song and not have to play it on guitar or piano. 
um, and just be lifted up by strings, which is what I feel emotionally whenever I sing to strings. Um, and this particular song was on a playlist that I listened to while I was receiving my chemo treatment um, that was, you know, basically empowered women in folk. And of course, Ani was at the top of that list. Um, so I heard that song over and over and it encouraged me and it just has such a beautiful drive to it, but it's also so honest and, you know, her soul is always on her sleeve. So that's one of the things I admire most about Ani. Um, so I just, I gave it my best, best shot, my best rendition. And, and it was a pleasure to record it with a quartet. Yeah. And, uh, and we, I mean, we talked about the charity before, but the song, uh, it stems from the song Braveries on Fire, which is on this album. And, uh, and my understanding is like, it's a story. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of about n- not being perfect, right? Being mortal in, in a sense. That's right. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of the, the songs on the album, grasp you know grapple excuse me with that concept of what defines one's character um and for me you know there was evidence of that everywhere in a positive way from all of the medical staff who helped me personally and then also so many of the patients who I witnessed being brave and also being vulnerable being crotchety, you know, being complainy, being, you know, basically any way that you are apt to be is amplified when you're under stress. And it's something that can either help foster compassion toward others when you see that happening, or it can make you frustrated and depressed. And the the little choices that we make along the way when we, we face these challenges are really what define our character and it was full immersion for me so I learned a lot about not only myself but uh, all the various people in in my immediate circle and my wider circle Um, and so it just seemed like a great you know topic to mine as a musician and of course everything that's going on sociopolitically in the world um, with our government and with the environment and and how we face these challenges also defines our character as you know, as human beings and as a country too. Yeah. And, and so for you, uh, I mean, going through this very personal and, um, you know, challenging time, like as you're making this album, like how did you approach it? How do you, know, how, what worked into creating, um, this, this album, you know, when you're, you know, tasked with all this other things, you know, this other fight that you have, right? Yeah. Well, I actually didn't start making the album until I was done with my treatment. So the chronology was essentially, I was diagnosed in spring, 2018, I was a full-time patient, as they warned me I would be, and I didn't even quite believe it. You know, when they tell you you're not going to have any energy, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's everybody else. You know, I'll be playing, I'll be singing, I'll be doing whatever. But no, they they were right. And um, so until the fall of that year, I really was focusing on just getting through it. Um, And then I started to write my first songs for the album, maybe... October around then and by January 2019 I was so excited and eager to be in the studio getting back to what I love to do that it was just bursting out of me so you know nothing like absence to make the heart grow fonder as they say and in my case it was certainly true 
Totally. Um, so you've been able to uh, additionally give other artists uh, an opportunity through your Impress uh, label. Like, how did that come about, and how do you choose the artists that you uh, you bring on? Oh, well, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways they choose me. Um, but I did run the label for quite a number of years before I started signing other artists. And I think that was really important because I needed to obviously figure out, you know, what I was doing and, and really learn the business. Um, but the first artist who I signed, his name is Seth Glear, and he's just extraordinary. He's He was a prodigy when he came to us. I think he was 16. And I heard him play at a gig. You know, he was supporting me somewhere in New Hampshire, and he just blew me away. And I hadn't planned to sign anyone, but I turned to my uh, her manager, and we both looked at each other with the same exact shot in our minds, just you know, we want to be part of helping this young person uh, get his music out into the world. And and so we did. And he's Grammy nominated now and he tours, you know, all over the States and, and all over the world. And, and we're just very, very proud to continue to be able to support his beautiful music. Um, and we also just signed a wonderful artist named Grace Pettis. And it was similar, you know, very organic. Um, we saw her perform down at South by Southwest and she played with her band and rocked it out. She has a great country rock blues voice. And we were just blown away. And, and so we just started chatting about the possibility of collaborating. And here we are a year later uh, about to put out her first single. So it's very exciting. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. Uh, and so uh, you uh, you you have a passion for London, and you kind of have called. Oh, I do. You've called it your home away from home. Tell me what it is about London that's uh, uh, really like gives you that feeling. Oh my goodness! I think it's really a sister city to New York, but of course it has some of that old, you know, European flavor. Um, so many different little villages off the beaten path when we tour there. You know, you, you cross a farm and then you see a castle and then an hour later you're in a big metropolis. You know, it's just, it has so much dynamism to it and so much diversity. And of course the food is great. You can get anything you want, anything you need, any time of day. It's a nighttime friendly city and I'm a vampire. So that works great for me. Um, and it's a walking city. You know, I just, I, I hate driving and I love walking and there aren't that many places in the world where you can live and thrive if that's the way you are. So, um, I just love it. And I have a, a lot of friends there now and we go back very regularly. Oh, nice. And, and so I have uh, one or two more questions as we wind down here. Uh, um, you also are a, a painter, uh, you're an artist and, uh, and I've seen some of your, uh, your work and it's, I mean, it's really creative. I love the design of it. And so t tell me about how you kind of get into that space and, um, and, uh, channel your creativity through that, that platform. Oh, you just want to know about my art and how that, that whole process goes or? Yeah. Um, yes. So it, it was a little loud here for a moment. I don't know if you could hear there was a siren that went by. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I look at it really as all the same thing. It's creative expression and it's just different parts of you expressing yourself in different mediums. But I've always loved painting and drawing. I think I became a little bit more serious about it once I started designing my own album packages. And then that gave me an opportunity to have that canvas uh, to include those elements. Um, but I've also done 
a handful of art shows in New York and look forward to doing more. And it's something that I just really enjoy the process of doing. It kind of calms me down. It's very meditative. So if I'm in a bad mood for whatever reason, you know, my advice to myself is always to start, you know, filling a blank canvas and, and usually an hour or two later, I feel a lot more of myself. Yeah. And you've said, you've said that playing guitar is kind of a spiritual thing for you as well. Tell me about that. Hmm, have I, have I said that? I hate the guitar. Um, <laughs> but I do, I love the sound of the guitar and it definitely brings something out in my voice. That's a bit different from when I accompany myself on the piano. I think it's that, like that thing, you know, when you, um, you rub your stomach and you pat your head and, and it's kind of hard to do those two things at the same time. Yeah. That's how the piano can be sometimes. So sometimes I end up playing the same shapes that I'm singing and sort of syncing that up in a very symmetrical way on the piano. Whereas on a guitar, you get that strumming motion or finger picking, and then you can take your voice anywhere and they don't have to sort of um, mirror each other. And I think that can be very freeing especially for more of a talk voice. You know, I, I have sort of like a speak singing voice. Um, you know, the, the most notable example of that would be someone like Bob Dylan. And I hope I'm a little bit more tuneful than that, although I adore him. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's a conversation and I'm much more interested in communicating the story um, and, and, you know, presenting a feeling than being perfect vocally. Well, well, Rachel, thank you for taking the time today and um, dig the new character album. I mean, it has uh, some really catchy uh, feel and, and just knowing what you were going through, you know, uh, after uh, uh, after that, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's it's pretty powerful. So I want to. Uh, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and for helping me share my story. Uh, I hope that when the record comes out on March 6th, that people enjoy it and that it's uplifting and encouraging. Totally. Well, thank you, Rachel. You have a good rest of your day in L.A. and uh, enjoy the rest of the tour with Howard Jones. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. That was the interview with Rachel Sage. Check out her new album, Character, that comes out in March. Uh, and uh, any of her other uh, 14 albums as well. She has a lot of music, and she's really invested in uh, her career, obviously. Uh, she's an artist. She's um, in it for the long run and uh, and loves making music and, uh, and getting around and, uh, and touring and playing for different audiences. So, uh, so check it out. Um, all right, that takes us to our last segment of the program. It is the music news. So I already kind of did a music news story in the open with with, uh, with the format, but um, I got some other stories here as well. So let's uh, kick it off. The first story is about Ozzy Osbourne, and um, and it's uh, it's a positive story this time. You know, he we've he's been having his own battle with Parkinson's and all of that, but he's he's pushing forward. So he's actually going to do um, a, a listening party in celebration of his seventeenth solo album. Man, he's had 17 solo albums. I didn't even realize that. It's crazy. Um, that's outside of Black Sabbath and everything else. I mean, uh, his solo album is called Ordinary Man. 
He's going to do a 50-city, uh, around-the-world listening party. And uh, this is a unique kind of listening party uh, because it's uh, at tattoo shops. So uh, they're, they're uh, requesting that you get a, an Aussie-inspired tattoo and hear the album before anyone else. Um, and uh, you can choose from exclusive designs made by your local tattoo parlor. Uh, of course, the times and prices uh, vary by city, but um, there more details are going to be happening next week. Uh, first come, first serve uh, in terms of that, but it's all over the world. And, you know, uh, all the way as far as Amsterdam and Athens and, uh, I mean, there's Boston, Buenos Aires, um, Copenhagen, Denver, and in uh, San Francisco will be on the list. Uh there's Oakland as well. Uh, Oakland at Sacred Tattoo um, will uh, will be one location, and then also San Francisco is on the list at Let It Bleed Tattoo. So if you want more information, you can go to uh, tattoo.ozzy.com and uh, and check it out and get to hear his new album before anybody else apparently, and have a permanent piece of Ozzy on you uh, that you get to carry around forever. So. Uh, the Osman cometh with his seventeenth uh, album. Yes. Um, all right. There's there's a bunch of tours that are happening. I mean, the summer tours are already starting to be announced, and uh, and so that's that's really exciting, right? Um, Rolling Stones have announced a North American stadium tour. Uh, it's they've extended their successful No Filter tour with a, uh, a new leg that's going to visit stadiums in multiple cities, uh, spanning in the summer. Uh, it's going to kick off, um, it's in May, uh, in San Diego. So the, the only semi-local date is, uh, is San Diego. They're going to play Austin, Texas, uh, um, a lot of other locations as well. So um, if you're interested in seeing the Stones, you might want to head down south uh, near um, in early May because that's where they'll be. Um, I've never had a chance to see the Stones, but... Um, uh, but I, I mean, that would be something that would be really cool. Uh, I, I'd like to see them live. I mean, it's just one of those bands that's like, how have I not seen them yet? I, I don't know the answer to that question. But Mick Jaggers uh, shared his excitement about the new track. He said, it's always a pleasure to return to North America and play for some of the biggest and best crowds in the world. Uh, Keith Richards added, uh, we had the best time on the road this last summer uh, and we're ready to do it again. They They won't stop. They can't stop. And they're still out there uh, taking names, right? So um, you want to see the Stones? Go check them out um, in uh, Southern California. All right. Um, the next story is uh, Slipknot has also kind of um, announced their uh, 2020 Knotfest Roadshow Tour. Um, and that went really well last year. So they're going to do it again and bring it, bring along a day to remember, Under Oath, and Code Orange for the ride. Um, that's starting at the end of May in New York, and um, and that's going from uh, New York uh, into Canada a bit, uh, down south to Florida, so um, and then to the um, to Texas as well. That's a, that's the closest as it gets is uh, is Texas. So um, if you want to see some Slipknot, that's uh, that's where you got to go. All right, um, Bruno Mars, um, he's teaming up with Disney for an upcoming music film. Um, so the story kind of goes like this. Um, 
uh, he they've inked a deal to develop an up, upcoming music film. Who uh, he will co-produce and star in the not yet named up, upcoming project, uh, which was announced on Thursday. Uh, and so while the movie's plot and other details have not yet been revealed. Uh, Bruno Mars took to social media to unveil the news of the joint effort. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star, he captioned uh, the video post, which featured him playing the Disney classic from Pinocchio, When You Wish Upon a Star on the Piano. Um, and so according to the statement, project's going to be music-themed uh, theatrical narrative feature, and this is going to be Mars's first, sol- uh, first major film role. Um, he voiced it, uh, a character in the animated Rio 2 from 2014, and he portrayed an Elvis impersonator in 1992's Honeymoon in Vegas. Uh, and so, um, yeah, if you want to check that out, I'm sure it, uh, more information will be along in the not-too-distant future. Um, so uh, the uh, Erica Badu, she has a uh, new incense that's going to smell like her vagina. Yeah, you heard that right. Um, so, th- I mean, this comes on the heels of um, Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow uh, making a candle that smelled like her vagina. So apparently that's the hottest rage now. Um, and uh, Rick Ross has a beard and hair care line. It's pretty amazing. Be- Bieber has a deodorant. Uh, Ariana Grande got a Starbucks drink, and uh, Kanye West, by his estimation, made Yeezy his sneaker and fashion line. Uh, and uh, so Erica Badu is looking to diversify her portfolio with Badu World Market, a new online store opening um, in a couple weeks. And as part of the launch, she's releasing an incense called Badu's Pussy, based on the smell of her vagina. Alrighty then. Um, I took a lot of pairs of my panties, cut them up into little pieces, and burned them, the singer told Ten Magazine about the creation of the incense, even the ashes part of it. The people deserve it. Badu's store will include uh, uh, some other goods like uh, um, uh, rose quartz and turquoise infusing water bottle, grills, the ones you snap over your teeth, not the cook-on ones, and pieces from Badu's clothing line, pho. Uh, there's an urban legend that my pussy changes men, the singer explained. The men that I fall in love with and fall in love with me uh, change jobs and lives. Uh, and so that's her uh, marketing piece. Is uh, She's going to make uh, an incense smell, the, my, smell like her vagina. All right, I got two more stories here. Um, one is about Madonna claiming the London Palladium pulled the curtain down on her overrunning show, which the theater is denying, actually. Uh, so she's a- accused the theater of trying to censor her after claiming the theater pulled the curtain down and she went beyond her curfew on Wednesday. Um, this was uh, actually in January. Uh, and she spoke out after uh, the latest performance of her residence who was seemingly cut off for running over the allotted 11 p.m. end time. So spokesperson for LW Theaters, however, has refuted the claims. Contrary to a number of reports, at no point during the night's performance did staff at the London Palladium pull down or attempt to pull down the Iron Fire Curtain, uh, they said in a statement. Madonna shared a video of the alleged moment when the curtain falls before she bursts through and continues performing with her backup dancers. Um, And 
She captioned the clips, artists here, are, artists are here to disturb the peace. Uh, it was five minutes past our 11 p.m. curfew. We had one more song to do, and the Palladium decides to censor us by pulling down the metal fire curtain that weighs nine tons. Uh, fortunately, they stopped uh, it halfway, and no one was hurt. Many thanks to the entire audience who did not move and never left us. Power to the people. And in the video, Madonna can be heard screaming, fuck you, motherfucker, as the curtain falls before eventually returning to perform I Rise. So which side is true? Not sure. Didn't watch the video. All right. Last story is a close one, actually, one that we're bringing home to Concert Pipeline. Uh, so this is about Eric Hutchinson. Um, he's announced a new album called The Class of 98 um, that's coming out April 17th. Uh, the debut single rock out tonight is, has been released. Um, and, uh, I'm excited to say I've had a chance to listen to the album, uh, as Eric Hutchinson's going to be on the program in a couple weeks. So, uh, so that's pretty exciting. He's going to be playing in San Francisco at Slim's, um, and, uh, in, um, Novato at the Hot Monk Tavern. So, um, a couple of good local shows there. Uh, Eric Hutchinson's a lot of fun. He's been on the program before, and um, and I've been a fan of his for years. I really liked his uh, first two albums that he uh, put out. I was I listened to them so many times, um, and those are Sounds Like This and Moving Up, Living Down. Um, I had the opportunity to see Eric Hutchinson for the first time. I think it was at Slim's, actually, when he opened for uh, Andrew McMahon. Uh, so... That was that was pretty cool, and it just opened my eyes to his world. And um, he had a lot of similarities in performance. He was playing a keyboard and uh, and rocking out, and um, and I've seen him a number of times since, and uh, and interviewed him when he was in Napa a couple of years ago. And uh, so looking forward to getting to talk to him again. Uh, this new album is kind of a reflection of uh, his. Uh, time in high school he'd been thinking about high school a lot lately and uh, and wanted to make an album that was significant of that time so um, we'll get into that album more obviously when we talk to Eric Hutchinson but that's pretty exciting the album is good it'll come out in April um, and I really recommend checking it out um, all right. So, uh, that's all my voice is going to be able to take for today. Uh, like I said, Eric Hutchinson in a couple weeks, we do have, uh, Eliza and the delusionals, uh, that are on next week, uh, on concert pipeline. Hopefully Jens will be back to co-host with, uh, that one, but they're playing at the Fox theater. Um, or by the time this came out, they played at the Fox theater, uh, and, um, open for silver sun pickups. Um, saw Silver some pickups a few week, uh, a few months ago actually in Sonoma, uh, at a, uh, Sonoma Harvest Music Festival, and they put on a really good show. Um, I just really dig them, and um, they're one of those bands that I haven't spent a ton of time listening to, but um, I've seen them a couple of times now, and I enjoy their performance. Uh, I dig their music, and uh, it was good to get to see them again uh, at the Fox Theater. Uh, and uh, interview Elijah and the Delusionals. So uh, that's our show for today. We'll catch you next week. For all of us here at Concert Pipeline, uh, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.